Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Great to see you. We're going we're gonna to talk about grace, as you heard there. Um, but the question is, grace, what is it? I mean, is it a way we move through life? Is it the way we dance or perform? Is it a charming or attractive trait or characteristic? Here's the way all of us can understand that we know a little bit about grace. Okay, I, I, like I'm at Mission Hill this morning, so it's a requirement in every message that some soccer reference is given. So here we go, okay? I was watching a Sporting Kansas City game last night. And the ref missed all kinds of calls, right? I mean, it was terrible. I mean, it was, oh, and I got to watch myself because I could get fined for talking about the ref, but that's only for coaches and for players. They, they get in trouble for that. But, but the ref missed a bunch of calls. Now, granted, that's not the reason Sporting lost. The Sporting lost because they couldn't put the ball in the net. But, but it was a tough deal. And, and, and look, we never complain about refs, right? I mean, some of you, if you're a Chiefs fan, I mean, there's a game Monday night, right? I mean, it's Redskins, Chiefs. Like, you will not complain about the refs ever because you know they're not going to miss a single call. They're going to get every call right. They're, they're not going to miss anything. I mean, they're, they're not going to call something wrong when it's not there. And they're going to call everything right when it happens. Because, you know, and so you're going to walk away from the game and you're going to be like, oh, man, those refs are amazing. <laughs> right? So when calls don't go your way, what's your feelings towards the ref? Or the official. I mean, you wouldn't say things like you want them fired. Or um, when they miss the call, you would say something like, you need to get your eyes checked. You might need glasses. You, you wouldn't say those things, right? Because you've got grace. We generally don't give grace to officials. So we know what grace is in that case. Okay, so, so it's all reminded me of this Toyota commercial, right? I mean, so like I'm, I'm just preparing this message in this intro, and I'm like, there's a Toyota commercial that is perfect for this. So I brought it with me. Because everybody should have a Toyota commercial in the beginning of their sermon. So here it is. They say, let's show let's compa- go places. Let's go compassion, but you know, all right. 
how many of us would have hit the puddle instead of pulling over? If it had just cost our kids the championship opportunity, a playoff game, we would have been more apt to hit the puddle than to pull over. I mean, at least I would have. Maybe I'm speaking for you. I'm sorry. I, who's stopping? All you good spiritual people, I see how it is. Fine, whatever. You speak because I'm obviously unqualified. So we know what grace is from a practical perspective. We know what it's like for us to give grace. The question is, do we know what it's like to receive grace? Because grace is something we have to receive. Okay, Webster, you know that really amazing theological book called The Dictionary, defines grace this way. First definition in Webster's dictionary under the word grace. Unmerited divine assistance given humans for their regeneration or sanctification. Like, that's pretty theological. I mean, well, here's what it means kind of in normal words. God's gift to us that makes us right with him. That's what grace is. You know, last week, Pastor Josh walked you through one of the major points that Luther was making in trying to bring reform to the church. And that was the concept, the idea of Scripture alone, that the Scriptures, the Bible, are the authority for the church. The key to life today is to read and study the Scripture so that we know how we ought to live and to make sure what we're being taught lines up with the Scriptures. We understand what grace is from what the Scriptures teach us. And another of Luther's points was grace alone was needed for salvation. And before we read this passage from Romans 5, we, we have to understand this important truth that the Scriptures teach. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us um, has blown it. Look, and every one of our perfect-looking children are going to sin. It's going to happen. I know we don't think that our child, the, 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 the new one especially, I mean, you think about this, Melissa, right? I mean, you got little Diego, right? He is like perfect, right? Perfect. One day, he's going to blow it. Probably sooner rather than later. I mean, he's got some time in him, but, but every one of us are, we all, no matter how perfect that child looks, it eventually is going to sin because every one of us is guilty. Every one of us is a sinner. Once Diego sins and once every one of us sinned, we needed grace to be shown to us. See, Romans 3.23, Paul tells us this, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace, there's the word, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. So, so as we read Romans 5, and I realize this, this was just intro to get to Romans 5, and so when we read Romans 5, you, you need to look at this theme that runs throughout the Scriptures, that the grace of God, or as Martin Luther put it, grace alone 
is a powerful thought that we have to understand. Now we, we get it, we, and Luther did as well. He, he understood it wasn't just the scriptures that save us. It wasn't just grace alone that saved it, It's not faith alone. It's all those things working together. But what it wasn't was it wasn't something that somebody was telling us we had to do on top of those things. It's what God did for us. And so grace alone, here it is, Romans 5, 15. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, causes death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now, Christ, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As much as we don't like it, sin brings death. Sin brings physical death and it brings spiritual death. Because of Adam's sin and our sin, we were in trouble. We had a broken down car on, the, on a lonely road and we needed somebody to rescue us. God sent someone, not in a Toyota, but rather his perfect son, to die for our sin and the sins of the human race. But Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, one of the things we have to understand is we are all guilty. Now, that's depressing, I know. Not one of us is exempt. We are all guilty. Romans 3.10 says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Look, we can't stay here and talk this through, but, but we need to understand the futility of our position. Like, I, 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 once we understand that all of us are guilty, all of us have sinned, then we have no hope on our own. There, there is nothing we can do to obtain salvation because God provided it. God provided the solution. Look, we're all guilty, but God provides a solution, and it's by his grace. Adam's sin and our sin introduced death, but God's gracious gift, Jesus, brings forgiveness and life. 
It isn't that we haven't sinned. It's that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Romans 5.16, we just read just a few moments ago, says, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. When we start to think that through, it's not that we didn't sin. It's not that we don't have this huge ledger of failure. It's that God's gift, his gracious gift, is powerful enough and pays the price for our sin. We're not made right with God because of the things we've done or the things that we do. We aren't made right because we had a 4.0 in high school or college. We aren't made right because we serve the poor or give to missions. We aren't made right because we picked up the ref on the side of the road who was stranded. We, we can do good things. That is not how we experience salvation. We experience salvation and forgiveness because of the grace of God alone. It's because of His grace. Now, does that mean we stay there? No. That isn't, we don't stay there. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it this way. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. There is a struggle that we have with grace. And that is we think we have to do something to earn it. And we can't. There is nothing we can do to earn it. It is the gift of God. It's free to us. I don't know how many of you have ever had to pay for a gift. It seems weird, right? Like a gift that you were given. I mean, I understand we give gifts and we usually pay for those. Like, I got that, unless we steal them. And then, you know, I don't know. That's kind of not right either, but... But when you think about it, you know, when we get a gift, we don't open the gift and go, hey, here, uh, let me pay for that. That's weird. Right? We would never do that. We have been given a gift. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to pay for it. When we attempt to pay for that from God, we no longer allowing his grace to have the impact in our lives that he wants it to. We struggle with that, right? I mean, we struggle. We struggle because we're not completely convinced that it applies to us. See, because it applies to other people. I mean, we, we understand other people, they get this gift from God, and, and they become sons and daughters of God. And, and through his grace, we, we, we suddenly get to this position where we, we are loved by God, adopted into his family. Other people, we get it because they're not as bad as we are, and we see that. But no, God is saying, look, it's a free gift. It covers your sin. It covers everything you've ever done. From the worst to the best of us, it covers it all. Getting something for nothing 
is hard for us to accept. It's hard sometimes for, for us to allow people to help us. One of the few places in our lives where we'll ask for help is when we're moving, right? I mean, everybody's like, when you're moving, you're like, oh, I need help. But outside of that, we're like, I... Makes us a little like, I don't know, asking for help. Because we are, well, we're Americans. And we like to be self-made. We, we like to have worked hard and, and done things for ourselves. The problem is, that does not fit with the theology of God here. We can't work our way into this. He's saying it's a gift. It's his solution free. We can't do anything to obtain it. We just have to accept it. But let's be honest, it wasn't free for everyone. It was costly to God. His gift to us cost him a high price. Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, suggested that grace is costly. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and great because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. See, God came because he was the only option. He was the only solution. And he comes and he sends Jesus and it's by his grace we are saved. But we can't stay there either. Because grace doesn't mean live however you want. There is a fear that some will take advantage of God's grace by living however they want. Paul had that same concern. See, because we read in, in Romans 5, 14 through 21, the next verse after that, in Romans 6, 1 says this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Look, look, Paul's saying, look, you can't keep going. You can't keep living the way you once lived. You, you cannot keep doing things that aren't right. You, you can't just say, oh, God's grace will cover this. No, you can't say that. That's not acceptable. See, Paul's saying, look, if you, in, in NIV, that, that same verse, sh should we go on sinning so the grace may increase? It says, God forbid, or by no means. 
He says, don't do that. Don't, don't do that because you, you're actually taking the grace of God for granted. That's unacceptable. Jude wrote it this way. He's going to say Jude 1, but there's only one chapter in Jude. It's verses 3 and 4. It says, dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else. Urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Now, now you just have to see this here. Jude is writing. He says, oh, I, I wish I could write to you about salvation. I, I want to write to you about this salvation we all share. This is so incredible. But I can't. Before I write to you about this, I have to tell you about this. Because this is so important. I can't write to you about this, this salvation we share and encourage you. I've got to correct some error. And he does in verse 4. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. For they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And now... When you read that, now again, Jude is writing saying, look, there's some false teachers that have come into your midst, into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. And he goes on and later lists in some of those things, but, but the point is it can't go on. Like, like God's grace does not allow us to live there. His, his grace does not allow us just to live how we want to. His grace covers our sin. But we ought to be being transformed into the image of Jesus. We ought to be becoming more and more like him. It, it's what God calls us to do. He, he, he's asking us to, to imitate him. He's asking us to, to follow him. There is no question that God's gift of grace is free to us. Nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. But he offers his grace to us freely. See, the problem that Martin Luther was facing was that people thought they could buy their way to salvation. We may be able to buy a lot of things in this life, but forgiveness from God is not one of them. We may be able to buy our way into all kinds of stuff, political position and power. We might be able to buy ourselves into a, into a house. We can buy our way into a lot of things. Forgiveness is not one. No amount of money. No amount of giving. No amount of giving to the poor. or anything, Nothing can allow us to buy God's forgiveness. Nothing. But that doesn't mean there isn't a price for us to pay. If we accept God's gift of grace, then our lives are not our own. We aren't on the hook for our sin, but we are to live our lives for him. Let's read again Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and we'll add verse 10 this time. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, so we've been saved by God's grace. It's his gift. But once we accept the gift, there are requirements. 
No, again, not for salvation, but because of salvation. See, you remember Jesus' experience with, with the woman and how the people were like, oh, how, how dare you let this person do this to you? And, and, and people were complaining about what Jesus was allowing. And he said, look, who's, whoever's been forgiven much loves much. God has saved us. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. He has brought freedom from, from our sin, freedom from our, the things that have held us captive. He wants to bring freedom from all those things, the, the freedom that he brings by his grace. See, see, the power of Jesus in our lives ought to break the chains of everything in our lives. Everything. Anything that's held us captive, anything that keeps us from pursuing and accomplishing the work of God in our lives, they ought to be broken by his power. Now, granted, we're going to struggle some. I get it. But Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. And Jesus is teaching us very simply, look, if you love me, you're going to do what I say to do. If, if you've accepted my gift of grace, you're going to live this. You're going to, there's going to be changes in us that are going to be reflective. Because Jesus is powerful. Because the death of Christ is powerful. His resurrection is powerful. That, that whole thing is the, the most powerful moment of history, everything of history, everything of our lives hinges on that moment, that the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it hinges there. And to, to live however we want, it denies its power, it denies what he has done for us. Look, so remember this, this morning. We are all guilty. Good news. It is good news because God provided a solution. Grace doesn't mean live however you want. I know I'm about to give you a name that is a household name. Every one of you know this guy's name. Just kidding. Thomas Bilney. History buffs in the room? You got it, right? No, okay. I was a student in Cambridge in the 1500s, like I said. He was a student in Cambridge right around the time of the Reformation. And he heard about this book, and he wanted to read it. He heard of this incredible book, and people were talking about it, but, but it was banned. He couldn't read the book. He, he was afraid to read the book because he was afraid. See, they took this kind of thing pretty seriously back then. They ban a book, you read it, they kill you. It's about the way it works. He's heard about this book, and it's a banned book, and he wants to read it. He finally decides he's going to buy a copy. He buys a copy and holds himself up in his room and he begins reading. And he comes across a passage of this book. And it was Erasmus's New Testament in Latin. Any takers? I stick to English. Thank you. But it was Erasmus's New Testament in, 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 in Latin. It was banned. That was the time they lived in. 
Because if they experienced the truth, the truth would set them free. And that's what they were struggling against, this freedom that was going to come through Jesus. We run across this passage. It was 1 Timothy 1.15, where Paul wrote this. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. When Thomas Bilney read that, he fell to his knees and began to pray because he suddenly realized, wait a minute, Paul the apostle, the greatest of all sinners, was confident in his salvation. He, he suddenly realized, wait a minute, I am like, like Paul. Paul was the chief of sinners and, and Paul says he was terrible, but he's confident that he, he's going to experience salvation because of Jesus Christ. He, he read that and he fell to his knees and prayed, O thou who art the truth, give me strength that I may teach it and convert the ungodly by means of one who has been himself ungodly. Bilney eventually pays with his life for preaching the gospel the free gift of grace that's obtainable through Jesus Christ. Now, now I'm not by any transactions we can make, but it's attainable because of Jesus. Look, perhaps this morning you walked in here and you have yet to accept the free gift God is offering you. Forgiveness of sin and a new life. Remember, every person who is a follower of Jesus has at some point made a decision to accept the free gift that God offers. Coming to church does not save you. It helps you live the life God has designed you for, but it doesn't save you. And there's nothing, nothing you can do to obtain this gift. Except say, okay. Some of you are going to walk out of here today and you're going to walk into a restaurant. And you're going to sit down expecting to pay for your meal. If someone happens to pay for your meal and you don't know who it is, and the waiter or waitress says to you, your meal's been paid, you have a couple options. You can say, okay, thank you. But you don't get to tell, you don't get to say thank you to the person who paid for it. Or you can argue with the waiter or waitress. Say, no, I'm going to pay for my meal anyway. Which means you've just tipped them really well. Because you are not paying for your meal. It's already been paid for. You have a choice. You can accept the gift that's been given you. Or you can argue. And say, no, I'd rather pay for it myself. 
The same thing is true with Jesus. You have a choice. You have a choice to accept the gift or you can insist on paying it yourself. In which case, it's the worst decision of your life because it's worse than a credit card. The interest rate on that is incredible. You will never get to the bottom of that bill because you can't. It's unpayable. But Jesus paid the price for your sin. Every bit of it. And the only thing you can do today is say, okay. See, that's the power of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message that people need to hear in our world today. There's nothing we can do. It is by grace and grace alone that we've been saved. So this morning, if you find yourself in that place and you need to make a decision to follow Christ, then just a few minutes, we give you a chance to respond. I know Pastor Josh and Pastor Hannah will be over at the side. And if you want to talk to me, I welcome it. We'd love to pray with you and help you decide. If you've come with somebody and you, you want to talk to them or somebody you know and you want to say, look, I, 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 I need to accept the gift that Jesus has given me. Then you need to just do that. For all of us here this morning that are followers of Christ, look, we need to live this all the days of our lives. If our position in Christ is not dependent on what we do. We do because of our position in Christ. We serve because we've been saved. We give because we've been forgiven. We do things because of our position in Christ. Not to obtain a position in Christ. That's what grace is. And that's what grace means. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for these moments where we have opportunity to look at what your word teaches us. And God, I pray in these moments, God, I pray that we have left it Lord, if there's anybody in this room who needs to accept that free gift that was given, God, I pray that they would do so today. That today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray if there's those in the room that have tried to obtain position from you by doing or giving or whatever, even those things are right to do and to give and to, to serve, but if it's been out of a heart of trying to obtain your favor, God, I pray they would understand that your grace is freely given. The gift of Jesus Christ cannot be purchased. It's free. And God, I pray, and there's people in the room that are struggling 
with what it means to be changed by the power of Jesus, I pray, God, you would help us. Help us to become more and more like you, God, that that we would have the grace of God in difficult moments. Moments where we're not treated well, we would demonstrate your grace. God, that we would allow the power of the cross to have its full impact in our lives that we would be more like you. Lord, thank you for your gift of grace today. Thank you that I've been saved by grace. And each one of us that have accepted that free gift of Jesus Christ have experienced forgiveness. have experienced new life. I pray that we would live our lives that way. We would live our lives as people that have experienced grace and the power of Christ in us. Lord, thank you. Have your way in these closing moments. Do what you want in our lives. Encourage, change, renew, and restore. Speak by your spirit in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name.